I was in college. I was studying entrepreneurship and I was like, I don't want to get a job after I graduate. I want to do my own thing. I want to start my own business. My brother actually took my family to a real estate seminar. We took that information and we went and, and got to work. We got the system in place. Let me just see if we can scale this thing up to grow the family portfolio. By December, we had like eight to 10 single family homes. So like, I think the biggest challenge right now with the market is educating that end buyer that real estate is still a good buy. The real estate world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. It has never been so easy to connect, share, and bring people together. We're learning from others and finding the very best in ourselves. Challenging our beliefs, overcoming our fears, transforming ourselves so we can transform our business. This is Investor Creator. Antoine, welcome to Investor Creator. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. So I've been really looking forward to this. I know we have a lot of different things we can talk about. We're going to talk about turnkey, picking markets, buying remotely, working with family. But before we really get into that, I'm really curious your opinion on the market. So we've been in a market cycle for a very long time in terms of an upswing and now we have uh, the virus that has pretty well shut down the economy in a lot of areas, 30 million unemployed. So yeah. what's your, your stance on the market? And is now really the time that you're looking to press forward? Or are you beginning to pull back? Yeah, so we are actually pressing forward. So with the turnkey business, we last year we completed like 85 homes. So pretty much what the turnkey business does, it goes buys properties, rehabs them, rents them out, and then resells them, right? So we're always buying and selling and selling to investors, right? So there needs to be an investor on the back end who still wants to buy a property, but it's not a family that wants to move in. So most of our clients are, you know, in California, New York City, Miami, and they're buying properties in the Midwest. And so we facilitate that and help them do that. So with these market changes going on, um, we've been able to pick up a lot more inventory. And I think it's because a lot of the hard money lenders have shut down. We don't use any hard money or any bank financing. Everything is funded personally or with private investors. So for us on the acquisitions, like our acquisitions like went through the roof. We probably have like 12 houses under contract right now, which is probably one of, you know, one of the biggest numbers that we've had under contract in a, in a long time, probably in a, in a year. And then the rehabbing, um, due to the coronavirus rehabs and construction in general has slowed down. Home Depot lines are long. Um, the, the workers need to wear masks or want to be like six feet apart and like kind of just handle their own area and then go home. Um, cause many of them are just like scared. Some people are scared to go to work, but some people, when they go to the job site, they just want to be safe. Right. Which makes sense, which is slowing down the jobs. Uh, and then the buyer side and people actually buying and investing in real estate, that's, I think, where we're, where we're having the biggest challenge is just educating people that our neighborhoods and the cities we're investing in and these affordable rental properties that we are buying and rehabbing and selling, 
are not going to be affected as bad in my personal opinion as like an A-class luxury condo or as a single family home in LA or in another expensive market. You know, we sell our houses for 80 or 90,000 bucks and the rents are 800, 900 bucks a month. You know, like two people working at McDonald's or Starbucks uh, or even just living off the stimulus check uh, (laughs) that's coming in, they're going to be able to live and afford one of these properties, right? Um, So like, I think the biggest challenge right now with the market is educating that end buyer that, um, you know, real estate is still a good buy if it's in this small little niche. Yeah, I wouldn't go buy like an Airbnb rental or I wouldn't buy like uh, certain things in the market right now. So yeah, it is a very interesting time. I, in terms of the market in general and it coming back, uh, I don't see real estate getting hit all that hard for my niche. Uh, maybe some other parts of the industry are going to get whacked, but um, like Airbnb investors, for example. But I think that once this virus kind of blows over, which could be in six months or 12 months, then I think things are going to be back to normal. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. I mean, with, with these states opening, for example, like Tennessee partially opening, Ohio partially opening, if those go successful, then we'll be in, in great shape. I'm just worried about wave two kind of coming and restarting the entire process. Um, that's, that's my biggest worry right now. Yeah. And that makes sense. And it's really interesting because it's really rare that I get a seasoned investor that I talk to that says now's the time to really pull back. You know, it's, it's super rare. Yeah. And I think to, to really reiterate the point, um, I feel really comfortable in what we're doing, but what we do is servicing uh, a really niche buyer pool, which is under financing most, the vast majority of the time. And when we're going retail with something, which happens about 25% of the time, uh, we're still really below median price for an area. So, but I have a friend of mine that has, I think somewhere around 17, $1 million spec homes on the ground that are in some form of construction. Like that's the kind of stuff that makes me a, a, a little bit panicky. Like I hear that and I start to twitch because it's just that, that would be something that I wouldn't be uh, super interested in and in finding out if, if that's going to work long-term in this market. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if, you, I wonder if you talk to him, what he would say. <laughs> well, I, actually, I think I'm going to see him later today. So okay. we'll see. Yeah, I, think, I think he's still buying lots, man. I, I think that he feels oh, the man. same way everybody else does. And he's, he's just like, hey, man, let's, let's go do some deals. You know, that's crazy. So, I appreciate his optimism, but yeah, uh, yeah. he knows that business better than I do. Yeah. But, you know, long story short, it's like, look, that's just not my sandbox. And it yeah. Like, I, I do not want to deal, like, be the luxury home builder. But yeah, me neither. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So, Tell us about your background. So you started in this really young. Tell us how you got started your first deal and how everything went. Yeah, so sure. So I was in college. I went to Loyola Marymount University here in LA. Um, and I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So my family was up there. I moved to LA to go to college. And kind of my last year at university down here, I was like, I was studying entrepreneurship. And I was like, I don't want to get a job after I graduate. I want to do my own thing. I want to start my own business. And that's kind of why I went to university was to come up with that idea to get the hell out of there. Um, and like, or meet the right people too, because, you know, I was going to community college before and, you know, you don't really meet people at community college. And then everybody just kind of drives to school for their one or two classes and then leaves. So then university, I was like, all right, I'm going to be stuck with this on these, you know, a couple hundred entrepreneurship kids and great. I'm going to find a couple and we're going to do something. Didn't happen that way. Um, my brother actually took my family to like a real estate seminar. So one of those, you know, 
how to flip houses kinds of seminars, et cetera. We went, it was, it was good information for a weekend, just learning about, you know, before they sell you their $50,000 course. Right. <laughs> um, it was good information just to like get the ball rolling and to even just like see a little bit behind the curtain, what it looks like and what a deal looks like and like how much time it takes and like how many offers you should be submitting and you know, how you can protect yourself when you are making offers, that kind of thing. So it was about single family home flips. And so we kind of took that information and we went and, and got to work and really just tested a bunch of things in California, like flipping houses, wholesaling, um, direct mail, and just like tried and tested a bunch of different things for that next year or so. Well, I was at my last year at university and then kind of, it was then I was going into my last semester and I was like, okay, this whole in-state stuff doesn't work. I had been like networking my ass off in LA, like just trying to figure out what other people are doing and how they're having success with real estate in California. Cause we were trying to submit all these offers and nothing was working. Like for six months, we would submit like five, 10 offers a month and nothing. Every, every time we would get bid out, bid out, bid out, bid out. I was like, okay, this is not working. I started going on bigger pockets and just networking with people one-on-one. And then through those networking meetings, I w- everybody was like, oh no, you try to invest in California or LA. It's like, there's no way in hell you're going to be able to do that at your age. Mm-hmm. I was like you know, 21, 22 years old at the time. And, um, and we only had, my dad only had like 40, $50,000 in the bank. So we didn't have much money to work with either. It was not like we, you know, we had a couple million bucks in the bank. It would have been a different story today. Right. But um, so we started looking out of state then because through those conversations, everybody that I was meeting was like, oh no, out of state's the way to go with your budget and whatever, whatever. I was like, okay. So then I started researching markets out of state and I built like an Excel spreadsheet and just through listening with podcasts and books and networking, I kind of came up with these criteria that I was looking for in a market out of state, built a big Excel spreadsheet with the top, you know, 150 markets and kind of, uh, started just tracking information about them, their economics, um, diversity of the workforce, the major employers, all that stuff. And then found, Memphis, Tennessee, and Cleveland were pretty much on the top of that list. And then then I started like building a team or at least reaching out to people in the market, just like seeing what kind of deals were there. I had no I knew how to analyze deals now from that weekend seminar and just from like YouTube videos pretty much. And uh started building a team. I finally, after like 250 probably phone calls to agents and uh, listing agents on properties. I found an agent who actually like knew what the hell they were talking about. And he had a house for sale for like 45 grand. And, uh, he had like a contractor lined up property management company lined up and we ended up buying the house with him. And that was probably like a couple, you know, two months before my last semester, probably halfway through my last semester, we bought that house rehabbed it in like a week or two, rented it out for what we wanted to rent it out for. And then we, uh, and then we did a cash out refinance, like right before I graduated or right after, right around so that the time. was your first deal. That was my first deal. Yeah. Okay. And what, do you remember kind of what the numbers were on that? Yeah. Yeah. So we bought it for, I think we bought it for like 35 grand, renovated for 5,000 bucks. Then we rented it out for seven twenty-five a month. And then it was probably worth like 65 grand after. And then we just went to a local credit union that this guy who I just cold called, uh, this agent I cold called just connected us with, with every kind of piece of that team that we needed. Property management contractor and the, the lender as well. 
Wow, that that's super super lucky because sometimes yep. finding someone that knows anything in terms of uh-huh. real estate agents really difficult. I know. Yeah. Well, two hundred fifty phone calls later, I found. I know, and that's why. Like when I was on the phone with him about his listing, and I was like, "How much work does it need?" Oh yeah, uh, it's probably going to be like forty five hundred bucks. I was like, "Okay, what does it need?" You know, it needs uh, you know new tile flooring, new whatever, something in the kitchen, something in the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, "Yeah," and I have the contractor already bidded out and it's ready to go. I was like. Geez, right on. you sure you're, you're a realtor? <laughs> That's really funny. All right, so you got the first deal done. What did that do to your confidence? I mean, I know for me, my first deal is yeah. like, is night and day in terms of like how I felt about what I was doing. So how, did it make a big impact for you? Yeah, 100%. It made, I mean, it made such an impact that I, when I graduated, then I went to my dad and said, hey, see, you know, this is what we can do. Now we have a system in place. Now let me continue this after graduating. So yeah. yeah, it was a huge mile. Like if I did this three or four months later, I would have had a full-time job uh, or I would have been moved back in my parents' house in San Francisco, which I don't know how that would have gone either. But uh, because there was a lot of people in LA who, who were just investing out of state compared to San Francisco, I think maybe just the population wise, but there was just a lot more networking opportunities down here in LA than in the Bay Area. So, I mean, yeah, it was a huge confidence booster. And it allowed me then when I graduated to go to my dad and say, Hey, here, we refinanced the house. Here's the money back. Let me keep doing this. Like give me six months and we got the system in place. Let me just like see if we can scale this thing up to grow the family portfolio. And so that's, that's essentially what I did. So graduated in May. And then, so May was like when we finished that first house and refied it. And then by like December, we had like eight to 10 single family homes. So as soon as that first deal was done and I knew the system worked, then it was just like, okay, how many times can we do this? Um, until we kind of max out with the, with the lender or with, you know, how many deals can we do a month? And we just kept continued to scale it from, from that point on. So let's talk about the conversation with your father, because, uh, I have maybe two family members that I could even conceptualize in this universe that I would work with them. And every single other person, it's like, not a chance. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. so, and, and you, you find this happen a lot with families, you know, like, even if there's a good relationship there and there's trust, it's like, it, it's a tough thing to work together. Yeah. So, but it seems like you guys have done this wonderfully well. So I mean, what advice could you give? I mean, what have you guys done that's different that you guys seem to, to have this kind of synergy and can run this thing? Yeah, it's maybe it looks like it's, it's going well on the, I mean, it is going well and things are going well in the overall big picture. Right. But yeah, I mean, working with family members is, is difficult, right? Because I can't go tell, for example, now, now it's a full family business. So first it was, you know, me, my dad, my brother, and now my mom works in the company too. So it's all four of us, the whole entire family, the rest of the family's in Canada. So we're the only ones in the U S and we're the only ones in the business too. We have other employees now, but all, everybody, is in the, is in the business. And so, yeah, there are, there's little challenges that you would like never even think about. Like, for example, uh, my mom sending emails and like, she, it was just like the layout of her email, the syntax of her email just like looked super weird and was hard to read. And I'm like, Hey, can you change your, like when you're typing the email, like, uh, I thought she was using like sending the email out of our CRM and it like came out really choppy. So I was like, Hey, can you <laughs> fix the syntax? Like your email just looks like shit when it sends out. And then she's like, and then, you know, normally like if she was just in a regular employee, she would be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll fix it next time. Like, Oh, what did I do wrong? But no, cause she's right. my mom. So she's like, what, why are you, 
on my neck about all this little stuff and blah, 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 blah. and so it's like those little tiny things that you don't think about um but i mean like overall big picture we we have been working well together and i think it's just because all of us are kind of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial uh, my dad's always been a hardcore entrepreneur and never wanted to work for like always had a side hustle side business going um he you know was a project management consultant for a lot of like tech companies so he has like this kind of big picture project management background but always was in in a 9 to 5 stuck in a 9 to 5 cuz we lived in the bay area and he can't you know minimum income to survive there is like $150,000 so he always had to keep on working and then my mom while my dad was working always had a business as well so kind of all of us kind of understand the hustle and the work that it takes and then I think just just getting over those tiny little things like email syntax that you know you just need to forget about kind of and just let it blow over um, is you know all of those things are kind of not important as much as you know just getting the work done and everybody just putting in the work every single day and like um, yeah it's a challenge but um, we we've done well so far so well that's great so it sounds like you guys really work together as equals or is there like a, an, an employer employee relationship there? Yeah, no, it's more of as equals. There's nobody okay. like, we don't even have like, uh, there's other, other people that we've hired. Then it's like an employee kind of relationship, but all of us as the family, there's no like, Oh, we don't, we don't have it even on paper. Like, Oh, Antoine's a CEO or Eric's the S Eric, my dad, like is that CFO and ATN, my brother is the whatever, whatever. It's not even like that. It's just like, okay, ATN, you're going to go handle this part, which is acquisitions. Mom, you're going to go handle the sales side with Angelica, who's our other employee. And then Eric, my dad handles all the financial and legal kind of aspects. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just handling everything in between on the, on the turnkey side and, and, you know, helping the sales, helping acquisition, you know, helping where I can kind of jumping around. Right. And so that's kind of how we have it set up, but there's no like, yeah, it's just everybody has to get up every day and put the work in and, and do whatever, you know, hits their email or whoever calls the phone and they need to answer and handle it. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, and that maybe is why it works out so well, because I have a good friend of mine who hired his mother as a bookkeeper yeah. to handle his mortgage notes and uh, he had to fire her. And so, and he told me, he's like, Brad, I'm, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to have to let my mom go. And I was thinking, dude, wow. how are you going to do that? Like yeah. this woman gave birth to you. And, and, and I understood his, his point was, you know, I understand, but she won't do what I ask. You know, it's like, she still feels like she yep. knows best. Like she's the mom, yep. exactly. and the child. And, yep. and, and so he sat her down to fire her and she started like boohoo crying. <laughs> I was thinking, this is just terrible. Wow. You know? But uh, he and they ended up reconciling and I think she still works with him. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think the relationship thing's a tough thing. But yeah. so you went to your father, you're like, hey, this is working. I don't want to go be an employee somewhere. Like, let me go and scale this thing. And you went from one transaction to eight, you said by end of that yeah. year? Between- yep. Okay. So that's pretty quick scale. So how were you guys able to, to, to do that so fast? Yeah, it was my dad. So we got the, because we were burning it, so we would buy it, rehab it, rent it out, and then we'd have the cash back. Then we would take that money. And then my dad was working still. So he, you know, he was constantly adding money because he saw it was working. He wasn't, he took his money out of the stock. He started selling stuff that he had. So stock market, for example, he, he used to do like a lot of options trading and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so he was selling his stock options. He, uh, he had some 
some options that the company was working for as well. So we started selling certain things to just continually grow the cash that we had. Because every time we would refinance, we would lose a little bit of money. So let's say we had 40 grand, we would buy it, rehab it, rent it out, then refi. And let's say we had like 35 grand. So Mm -hmm. we always needed an extra like five or 10,000 bucks. But as, as long as we had that, we were able to keep on scaling it. So through that method, it was kind of, it made our money go a whole lot further. And that's how we, we were able to scale up to the 10 homes. And then, you know, then it was just managing the contractors and finding the, those amount of deals in that short amount of time, um, which w- was kind of like, like the apartment buildings that we have is kind of like a snowball effect. The hardest deal is the first one. As soon as you figure out the first one and it goes, even if it goes choppy, um, you at least know what to fix for the second one. And then right. people also in the market know that you're an actual buyer now and not just some Californian that wants to buy in the Midwest. Right, right. So tell us about your acquisition process. So how are you finding uh, properties? And I guess we'll kind of dovetail that with, you're in four different markets across the country now? Uh, right? We're really just focused on two. Focused on two. Okay, yep. so how are you finding properties right now in those two markets? Yeah, so finding properties right now in Memphis and Cleveland is the two markets. Uh, probably like 50% MLS. The other 50, the other, then like 25% from wholesalers and then 25% pocket listings from realtors. So the acquisition side, like the acquisitions team we have, which is a team of two people, my roommate and my brother, they find, they scrape the MLS every morning. So we have like Redfin searches set up. They scrape the entire MLS and see all the new listings to analyze them. They come up with a number they want to submit and then they, they send that to me and then I review it and then I sign the offer. And we do that. And then we also have just like being in business for this amount of time, we get a lot of realtors that we've worked with over the worked with over the last five years. And so they know us and know that we close and know that we use our own cash. So they don't need to wait for hard money, which is you know lending right now. And so we're just getting deals like left and right from just our relationships and being easy to work with and doing what the hell we say we're gonna do over the yeah. last five years as well. Very cool. So what how do you analyze the property? So is there a scope of repair you don't want? Or are you looking just at cap rate or, you know, a multiplier or are you, yeah, yeah. so I'm big on buying equity on day one. Is that really a concern for you guys? Just tell me like what you're looking for. Yeah. So a couple of, for us, it's multiple exit strategies. Um, even though most of the time, like 99% of the projects we do are just buy rehab, rent and sell to a turnkey investor. Cause that's, you know, for the turnkey business, right? So that's number one. So that we just have to hit our profit number that we want or our return number that we want. Most of the projects are three to four months. So they're very quick, which I like them too, because they're in and out. So that's kind of number one thing we look for is can we buy it, rehab it, rent it out and make a good profit, like the profit number that we want. Um, And then if the property, if we can't do that, then we want a second option, which is kind of like the burr. So, okay, can we buy it, rehab it, rent it out, and then refinance it? And can we make a good cash flow long term? Because let's say like shit hits the fan and the turnkey buyers are completely eliminated, then hopefully I can just refinance it out and hold it long term. Mm-hmm. Normally, if option A works, then B normally works. Um, and then there's always option uh, number C, which is just like the overall cap rate. And so just buying it, rehabbing it, and holding it long term, how does our cap rate look? Um, and then we just look for over like eight or 10% in terms of the cap. I think it's eight per, no, it's 10% in terms of the overall cap rate. And so if those three numbers, normally, if, again, number one is 
is good than number two and number three are, but sometimes you have like weird taxes or like really low rents on a property or um, stuff like that. So those are the three things that we look for and uh, always multiple exit strategies. One big thing due to this coronavirus that we actually have been doing is buying only vacant homes, which has been a little bit of a, well, it was a challenge a couple of weeks ago. Now it's it's easy because a lot of the buyers have disappeared, but buying only vacant homes. And the reason why is because a lot of the courts are still shut down and they won't open up for the next two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. And normally these properties like what that we buy occupied, the rents are like way below what we want them to be, or the tenants are just like not stable and they could just like uh, stop paying next month and then we'd be totally screwed and we'd have to get in the back of the line for the courthouse, which is going to be like, I think the courthouse is going to be completely slammed for the rest of the year because of all this stuff and all the all the evictions that are going on. So that's something that we're we're focusing on now is just buying only vacant properties. So you know that's a little bit of a pivot that we've had to overcome when we do the whole coronavirus thing. And are are there any disqualifiers that if it was bef- below before nineteen hundred or if it yeah. had had a fire or is there anything or just like under no circumstance do I want to do? It? <laughs> yeah, no fires. Um, cause fires have their own problems with like insurance as well. So not just like the amount of work it takes, but also just like insurance companies coming back and insuring a property that had fire damage, it gets expensive. Um, so no fires. I don't do anything that I don't normally buy stuff. Section eight, it's not a no go, but normally I don't buy anything that's occupied with section eight. Um, and then no structural issues. Normally the houses are not even worth the amount of money that it would cost to repair the structural issues. Like right. you know, we're buying houses for 30 grand, let's say it could cost 25 grand to fix a structure, you know, structural damage of a property. So it doesn't make sense. And then, uh, also just like, uh, down to the studs kind of properties are very hard to make work with our price range. Because, you know, sometimes those renovations could be 60 grand and the house is worth 75. And it's like, and then you have to buy that. So if I got the house for free, yeah, it would work. But if I have to buy the place for 10 grand and then my renovation is 60, I'm all in for 70, it's worth 75. So like down to the studs properties that need to be completely rehabbed, you know, gutted. Uh, those properties don't work for us. But yeah, those are, those are pretty much our, our main three things. So across your career so far, have you had any houses that really stand out to you as like, man, I really just should not have bought that property? Like if you had a trap house that wouldn't go away or anything like that? Yeah, we had one in Memphis. Um, it was in the north side of Memphis and we we bought it. It was like one of the second or third. It was that first year. So those eight properties that I bought, it was one of those houses. Oh man. Um, and, we were, we were, <laughs> and we were just like, oh, let's try a new area. We, you know, we bought all of our properties in this one zip code. And then this deal came about from that listing agent. And he was like, hey, what about this one? I was like, okay, it's cheap as hell. We can buy it and, you know, rehab it and we'll refinance it. Same structure. And we did, we did that. But then it was just like the tenants in that area were, were horrible. I mean, they, I don't even, they left that, they left, they left two months into their lease. They completely just like abandoned the property. They, and then they left, for example, they paid rent. It must've been something weird. Like they paid rent and then they left on like the second of the month. And then they just like left all the doors and like windows open or something. And then we came in the next month, like on the 15th of the next month, because they hadn't paid rent. So we're like, Hey, we're going to give you a three day notice or whatever to pay or leave or the 10th of the month or something. So it's been, it had been like a month and a half of just like every, 
thing in the house being open. And we went and then there was just bugs absolutely everywhere inside the entire property. And then it took, it took like a couple of weeks to get all the bugs and to clean up the entire place. And you had already renovated. Yeah. We, the thing was nice when we had renovated it. And then, <laughs> it, and then it, it needed a new roof. It like, we, we fixed a bunch of stuff and like cleaned it up, like the landscaping and like the whole backyard was kind of like just filled with brush. When we bought it, we took everything out and tried to make it really nice and clean. And, and then these people come and just destroy the entire inside with bugs too. And so bugs and imagine all the poop everywhere and stuff like that. And so then we, we've renovated it. We cleaned it up again. And then we got another tenant in. And then like two months in, they stopped paying as well. And then they stopped paying. And then there was other issues with like plumbing and electrical. I mean, just like everything you could think of went wrong with that property. We actually just sold it yesterday. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and we bought it. Yeah, I think we bought it for like 30 grand. We just sold it for 40 grand. But I mean, it, we probably spent 30 grand in renovation. So we lost money, but I just don't even want to see that on my CRM anymore. I would yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's best to just take the medicine and move on. Yeah, so yeah that, exactly. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So if I'm interested in buying turnkey, so I don't really know much about the, the turnkey world. So like, what's the opportunity you feel that you provide someone that wants to, to have cash flow? What's the opportunity that you provide them? And how would someone know, hey, you know, I, this might be a fit for me to go the turnkey route? Yeah, yeah, good, good question. So no, most of our turnkey clients, you know, have full-time jobs. So they work their nine to five, they have families, um, they want to get into real estate investing, they have 20 grand or more saved up, they have a credit score over 700. And so those are kind of all the boxes that need to be checked. And that most of our, all of our clients check. Um, and so they don't, they don't really have time to build a team out of state. Most of them are living in very expensive markets, LA, San Francisco, you know, the West coast and the East coast, for example. <laughs> um, and they just don't have, they don't have time to invest and they don't have enough money to invest in their own markets. So again, normally they have like 20 to 20,000 bucks to a hundred thousand dollars. And so the benefit of then using a turnkey provider is that you get to buy something out of state. It already comes fully renovated. There's a tenant in place. And then we help our clients get financing, insurance, and then property management as well. So the entire team on the ground is already given to them. And then they're given a, pro a property that's already been fully renovated with the tenant in place from day one. So from day one, they're making cash flow, And then the investment out of pocket for them is like only $20,000. So they'll buy the house from us for 80,000 bucks. They'll put 20% down couple thousand dollars in closing costs. So they're all in for right around $20,000. Um, and then normally all the big major CapEx we try to handle. If we don't handle it, we give them a home warranty. Um, so yeah, it's a really easy, quick and low risk way to just like dip your toes in the water. And I say this a lot to my clients, like turnkey is probably not something you want to do forever, but it's a great way to like get in the game. So yeah, maybe you'll, you'll buy two or three turnkeys and then like you could start buying stuff on the MLS because you feel comfortable or like you can sell your stocks or, you know, cash out your 401k and use that cash to do your own bird properties. Yeah, absolutely. You should do that, right? Like we're not a, we're not a, a long-term solution for, for everybody. Um, but it's just a great way to get started that I think is low risk where you're leveraging, you know, 80% of the banks, every 80% of the bank's money is funding your deal, you know? Yeah. And the cash on cash just has to be outrageous whenever you do that. So yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of happy people 
Switching gears a little bit. So, you know, doing the kind of deal flow that you're doing and you said you have zero bank financing in the business right now. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So it's, it sounds like you have to, to run a lot, quite a bit of private money. So how are you guys finding those relationships for private yeah. money? Cause you're not dealing with hard money. You're dealing with private money. Yeah. And, um, tell, tell, kind of walk us through what that looks like for your people. Yeah. So when I first started, which is probably the most important. Now it's a little bit different because we have that, like the referrals on private money is insane, right? Like everybody likes to say, oh yeah, I flipped or whatever. I flipped this house with this guy, Antoine, and you know, he did the project in three months and here's the photo, you know, like here's the photos of the property and this is how much money I made, right? So, you know, it's a, again, a snowball effect. But when I first started, it was really just bigger pockets networking one-on-one. So I would go and like message people on bigger pockets who were interested in real estate investing and, you know, wanted to invest out of state, for example. And I'd be like, Hey, you know, you want to go grab a coffee? I see you're interested in investing in in real estate out of state. And so when I would have those meetings with people, it was a couple of things. One, they would buy a turnkey property. Two, they didn't want the turnkey. They wanted to do it themselves. Okay, great. Then what I can offer you is how about we partner up and you fund one of my deals and let me manage it. And I'll, you know, teach you you know, about the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So there was kind of like a two different things that I could not pitch, but like at least offer to them and give them options about like ways that we could work together. Cause at the end of the day, that's what the whole point of networking is. Right. Um, so that's kind of really how I build it, built it just grassroots through that one-on-one networking. And then that's how I kind of built that base foundation of investors. And then that kind of just snowballed and snowballed as people did one deal, then they would fund two deals and it kind of just snowballed from there. The other big thing now is social media and especially Instagram. So I built up a pretty good Instagram following. And so I raise it, you know, I can make a post on Instagram and say, Hey, I'm looking for joint venture partners, DM me. And I can get like 20 to 30 people just sending me a message saying they're interested in investing with me. And then we get on a phone call, explaining them the process or explaining them again, the same thing, like buy a turnkey from me, invest with me, those kinds of things and have a phone call. And so now like, instead of me going and messaging people one-on-one and going and driving an hour to have a one hour coffee meeting, which takes three hours of my time. Now I make one post on Instagram, which takes 30 seconds. And then I have people book my Calendly, uh, kind of like how you booked this podcast. And people book my Calendly and they have a 15-minute phone call with me. And I talk to them about the couple different options and depending on how much money they have. And then that's how I've been able to scale the raising money aspect. Because I can have, in those three hours, now I can have you know, 12 phone calls and meet 12 people instead of just having one person. And, and that's such a, a big difference to have an abundance of cash. You know, it's like, whenever you can operate and you're not con- concerned about <laughs> whether you can get your deal funded or not, yeah. because it seems like a lot of people, especially on the front end, when they get into the business, they're really concerned about, well, can I even find the money? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's yeah. a great place to be. How do you recommend someone get started that has not invested in real estate or, or maybe they're they're They've done a couple of deals, but they want to scale to the point that, that you've done. Yeah. So what, what recommendations and advice do you have for that person? Yeah. I mean, if they've done a couple of deals and they have a system and process in place, and then most of those people, you know, probably have a full-time job still, it's probably to be like, make sure you have the right system in place and uh, the right team on the ground, especially if you're investing out of state. And then you got to make the jump. Like, especially if you want that income from your real estate portfolio to outweigh your nine to five, Doing it while you still have the nine to five is probably going to take 
it's probably going to take way more cash than you, than you think um, it is going to take. And so I don't know. It, it, it depends. Like, you know, we talked to, I talked to a lot of people too, who have a nine to five that they like and they like just investing passively. Okay, great. So turnkey is great. Maybe being an LP with, you know, large syndicators is a good option for you. And maybe you want to keep that full-time job. If you want to go into real estate full-time, then, you know, and you can do it with the amount of cash you have, and maybe you've tested your, your system or your team, a couple of deals, then you just need to make the jump and scale it. Cause as soon as you can go into a networking event and say you're a real estate investor full-time and like show people on paper, like the deals that you've done and you can, you know, make that move to, to doing it full-time. I think that your, your, the scale, instead of going like this with a nine to five, it's just going to go straight yeah. up because then you can invest 100% of your time. We, we started a wholesaling business in January because last year we were, we were buying like, we did 85 homes. So we're doing like eight, five to six houses a month. Right. Um, and then I was like, okay, I want to scale up to like 20 houses a month, but I was already buying like everything on the MLS that would come up. Like our guys every, would email me every couple of days. There's nothing on the MLS today. So we have nothing to analyze. And you know, we're just waiting for any, a deal to come to us. And I was like, okay, that's an issue. We need to do our own marketing then. And so we started a wholesaling business and, and I hired one of my roommates who had a full-time job. And I was like, there's no way in hell this is going to work unless you quit your full-time job. So I was like, I'll pay you a salary. Same thing. Let's figure this out. I'll give you six months. Let's figure this out and see if we can do some deals. And so hired him full-time because again, it was the only thing, only way that, that you can possibly make it work in my opinion is doing it full-time and like trying to do it after hours from like 5 to 10 p.m. is very difficult. First of all, nobody is awake because they're all, <laughs> they all work the nine to five as well, right? So, and especially here in California where everybody's two or three hours ahead of me, like, you know, my five o'clock is there seven, eight o'clock at night. Like they're not going to respond to email. So it just slows down your entire process and you're not going to really get anywhere in my opinion. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So what's the, the long game for you? I mean, you, you're really creating all of these single family properties and you're creating really great cash flow. So are you looking at other assets? I mean, what's the long game? Yeah, so we we are looking at other assets. Last year, we bought like uh, 87 apartments in Midtown Memphis. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of some legacy family assets that we've been buying that are just, you know, long-term assets, right? So that's kind of the long game is buying more and more multifamily. I'd like to get like up to 10,000 units is kind of what the 30-year goal is. Um, and then with the turnkey business, I still think that turnkeys are a great way for people to get started. Again, dip their toes in the water. We've The amount of people that we've helped get started in real estate that have now taken that little bit of like the real estate game and gone and done way bigger things with us or just by themselves has been incredible to, to watch. Um, and so I think that that, that business is going to continue to, to scale up. And so hopefully we can do, you know, scale the business to a couple hundred homes a, a year. And so those are my two, my two objectives. And I'm not really looking to, to go out and change or pivot at all. I just like to stay down the same two railroad tracks that I'm going down, which is continue to buy multifamily and then continue to scale the turnkey business to help more and more people get started. I feel the same way about my business because I'm often asked the same question. It's like, look, I'm going to stick with what I know. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, exactly. we're doing well with what we do. So it's like, and I enjoy it. So we're just going to keep rolling the way we are. Yeah. It sounds like that's kind of what you're thinking too. What do you think the biggest mistake is that people make when they, they do this business? I think that 
the biggest one of the biggest things that I don't like to see is like analysis paralysis, but also just like not trusting other people on the ground. Um, so like I, I think I had like an, a phone call with somebody yesterday who was an investor who you know wanted to invest out of state, and they were just like, yeah, I just can't. How did you trust the people that you were talking to? I'm like, well, did they know what the hell they were talking about? Yeah. Well, did they, you know, did, did the data they were telling you match the data that, you know, the homework that you did? Yeah. Okay. Then why didn't you just make the, like, that's it. Like you got to make the jump. And I think that people are so scared to, to make the jump. And, you know, if you're, if you're scared to make the jump, then make it a smaller jump, you know? And so that's like kind of what the out of state thing was for us was, okay, instead of being in California where we had to like put our entire 50 grand into a deal plus raise debt of, you know, hard money for another million bucks and then also raise private money to fund the gap. You know, we were all, you know, if that project went south, I mean, we lost everything. We lost right. our house, you know, like everything was done. That's freaking scary, but okay. Investing out of state and investing only 20 grand on a turnkey or investing, you know, 50 grand on doing your first burr in Memphis or Cleveland, like you're going to eventually just going to have to make the jump. And I think just the analysis paralysis and, you know, there's people that I've been talking to for three years who still text me questions about, Oh, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And I'm like, man, I've been answering your questions for three years. Um, you know, and that's when I got started and now I've doing 10 houses a month and you're still just like analyzing. And yeah. so it's just, you got to make the jump. You got to put your money where your mouth is if you want to make it in this thing. And like time is money too. So like, you're going to, you're going to learn a lot, even if you completely screw up the entire thing. And I, the thing is for me, like, as long, even if you completely fuck up your entire analysis and like your team completely screws you over. There's always going to be other people that can come in and, and save the project or do this or do that. Or, you know, you can't get your financing, for example. Okay. You, you know, worst case scenario, you're in the house for 30 or 40 grand, you rent it out for 800 bucks. And then the property management's completely horrible. You can find a new property manager. Like there's, there's solutions to all the excuses that people try to come up with in their head. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, for example, we just moved our entire portfolio in Memphis, which was like close to a hundred units to a new property management company. And we've been using them for five years. And it's just, they didn't have the ability to scale up with us to the size that we were at. And they were struggling with the scale issues. And so, yeah, we screwed up, but guess what we did? We just moved our yeah, we change it. Yeah. We change it. And you constantly are just analyzing and looking at your portfolio. And so, yeah, it's just making the jump. I think and people just need to put their money where their mouth is and a lot you know, there's only so much analyzing that you can do. You need to eventually just put your money up and, and test it. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. So we're finishing up here. I, first, I appreciate you being with us. Um, how do you see the real estate world changing coming up? I mean, we, we've got a lot of changes the past 10 years. What do you see coming up? I see um, a lot more tech uh, and less agents and less leasing agents and less, less people involved. And why I say that is because we are already transitioning that for like our apartment buildings to where people can, uh, potential tenants can book right on Zillow. For example, they click a button and then it brings up a schedule and they can go schedule their appointment and then they get a text at a code to go walk through the apartment. So like virtual tours or self-guided tours. Um, my parents wanted to move to LA and we, I was calling apartment buildings and they said, Oh yeah, we're doing self-guided tours. So yes, here's a lockbox code and you can go whenever you want. So like 
the amount of people that, first of all, like as a landlord, that, that's way better for me, in my opinion, because I can run, I don't need somebody to like coordinate. Like the amount of deals that are probably lost in just coordinating is probably a massive amount of, of people that don't go through the property because it doesn't fit their schedule. For example, they, they work from 10 a.m. to, to whatever, 10 p.m. And then the, you know after work, they want to go. So at 11 o'clock at night, they want to go and tour the building. No leasing agent in their right mind is going to go tour that apartment, but they can go and tour mine because you know we have showings available 24-7 and they can go whenever they want. And so somebody that works nights maybe and you know is sleeping the entire day, they have a really wacky schedule as, as well. So it's going to be hard for them to go and tour a building, but they still need a place to live. So I think that there's going to be a lot more technology in terms of the showings and open houses may change. Or again, it may just be like completely you know, tour based, uh, like virtual tour, just self-guided tour based, which, which is going to be interesting as well. And then I think Airbnbs and the Airbnb investors are going to change a whole lot. And I don't know, this, this is probably going to kill a lot of, a lot of Airbnb investors who, who I know some, some of them I know personally in a month ago, we had a phone call that said they were dead and, uh, they were looking at wholesaling out of state now. Right. So there's a lot of changes that I think are going to are about to come. Uh, I don't, again, I don't think that we're going to see like a real estate crash like we did in 2008, just because I, I think that real estate and especially the ex- expensive markets where I think that it's overpriced is going to stay pretty stable throughout, even throughout all this stuff that's going on. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. Antoine, appreciate you very much, man. I enjoyed it so much hanging out and talking. If someone is interested in buying turnkey from you, where can they go? Or if someone is interested in just connecting with you, how can yeah. they do? Yeah. Again, thanks for having me on the show, Brad. It was good. Um, had a good time. And so if people want to reach out to me, they can hit me up on Instagram at Martel Antoine, M-A-R-T-E-L Antoine. And then the website for the turnkey rentals, feel free to reach out to us. You can even book a call with us on the website. It's martelturnkey.com. Yeah.